Hi, how hey. are you? <laughs> hey, how are you? <laughs> thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Yes. <laughs> That's so you are, let me understand. You are among the, let's say, you, you contributed to create this app, to, to, to build this app. Oh, no, no, no. The app oh, itself, no, no. I see. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I created this, this club, the Science Society, but not the app itself. No. Oh, I see. I see. I see. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, thank you for coming. Yeah, um, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for inviting us. That... Oh, okay. Somebody's joining. Hi, yeah, Victoria. I should say Hi, Dominic. I hope okay. I say everyone's names right. Please correct me if I say it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so the history of Clubhouse, I don't know, it, it started during COVID times with like, mm -hmm. uh, like more famous people, like they invited Elon Musk and a few oh. famous tech people and, and also like musicians and so on. And, uh, yeah, my, it was invitation only back then. So my husband was on here quite early because he was working at Vice Media. I don't know if you know Vice Media from HBO, the news channel. Not really, not really. yeah. Well, anyways, doesn't matter. And um, how, hi, you, Yon. Am I saying your name right? I'm sorry. Juyon, Juyon. Juyon, okay. Oh, Dominic Hello. left. Oh, no. Oh. Oh. What happened? <laughs> Dominic, come back up. I invited you to Here, speak. I'll bring him. Uh, Calling yeah, Ava. I hope you'll... There we go. Did, did... Okay, great. <laughs> oh, okay, I can speak now. Cool. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, I didn't know you were having trouble. Okay, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, this app become became quite popular quite fast. It was invitation only. So back in time, when I started inviting people, I had to ask for their cell phone number to send them an invite. So I felt like yeah. like a spam. Or for, I you see. Know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like somebody that's trying to rip somebody off. I see. But most people actually said, okay, pretty fast. Just some people ask, is it really necessary? And I said, I really apologize, but I have to send you an invite or you cannot speak here on Clubhouse. But now it's better. Now it's everyone can just join. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Frank. Hi, Serena. Meet um, Hello. Dario, Yuan, and uh, Dominic. Um, Hello. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. We're so pleased to have you tonight. Hello. Welcome. Yeah, we are very excited to have you here. So uh, we'll start in around five minutes. And if it's okay with you, we usually, uh, I'll introduce the three of you. And then Victoria usually asks, like a more general question to you, like um, about like your general science interest career, if that's okay. And then 
the stage is yours to present your work and then we'll take questions from the audience or sure. whoever wants to to well, ask I, I don't know i i think uh, Dominique and Julian will agree. I mean, if questions come during uh, during the presentation, it's probably even better in the sense that we feel, uh, you know, sometimes when you talk, uh, you have the feeling that maybe other people are sleeping or, you know, you know having having a feedback like uh, during the talk is sometimes more uh, more interesting. So if people want to ask questions during the talk, it's even better. Thank okay. you, Dario. Another thing is that if you look in, there's a the room chat. And sometimes people will use that room ah, chat and I put see. questions or comments in there, and you can use it too. Sure. Okay. So that could also, um, you know, that could be some um, engagement too and input. Sure. And thank you for that, that tip. How has your? Oh, it's it's early morning, right, for you? Right now. Well, early morning. It's 10, 10 a.m., depending a bit on oh, the definition of early okay. morning. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Well, Sorry. my own definition is probably quite early, but okay, this is, that's my own definition. <laughs> yes. So your day just, but your day just started basically, so that's nice. Um, oh, um, Lisiu Cheng, uh, she's in the audience. She will be our guest speaker soon. Nice to be here. Uh, nice to meet you here. Nice to see you. I hope you'll enjoy the talk. She just joined Clubhouse for uh, She will give a talk about her paper and, and machine learning. Uh, it's quite exciting. So um, anyways, <laughs> and thanks everyone in the audience for coming. We'll start in, uh, in around two minutes. Oh, yeah, and if you want to join us here, um, um, then please come to the stage. If you want to ask a question, please come. It's supposed to be interactive, so everyone, please come to the stage to ask questions. And we'll start in around two minutes. So is this the first time all of you have been on Clubhouse? Was Katarina showing you the ropes of how it works? Doctors? Yeah, it's my first time. Yes, me too. Cool. It's a, it's a surprisingly um, enjoyable sort of platform where everybody can relax and doesn't have to worry about how they look on camera. <laughs> but everybody <laughs> can still talk and engage in that way. It's always good fun. Um, it's also gives you a, a good a, a chance to learn a lot. I've actually learned a lot with Science Society in the in the, you know, the short month I've actually been here. And it's thanks to people like yourselves. That's why I'm super grateful every single time a person, people like yourselves are able to come over and educate us. And plus, I love everything with the word quantum in it. Everything. <laughs> and you know, I just went to the market. I just did a complete marketing in clubhouse and about two kinds of chocolate so this is another bonus <laughs> really you can actually buy chocolate in here i didn't know that
So do you have a busy day planned for yourselves after the talk today? Doctors. Hmm? You're do already you on the hot seat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, you, <laughs> do you have a busy day today after the talk? Uh, I have to think about what I want to do today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, to be determined then. To be determined. Yeah, that's, right. that's a really good that's answer. That's usually something to do. Who said that? Dominic, what? did you say that? Who just gave that answer? I have yeah. To think. Because when people ask me, what have you got planned for today? Even if I have, you know, well-organized to-do list, I feel so tense like i don't want to tell anybody or i don't even want to it's it's like um like you don't mental want to labor to think of it an answer i, I like or that also answer. Saying, saying i don't know yet somehow feels like wrong for me if someone asks me what you're going to do i don't know yet saying i don't know somehow feels i've failed in my day you can I, say feel, I feel compelled to say oh I will be doing this, I will do this and that, that. That will make say me sound productive. You could say the waves are going to collapse any moment. Ah, you know what? I, I love that response. I'm going to use that because that's a good physics one. Yeah, it's better than none of your business. It's true. <laughs> it's a good answer. <laughs> it's non-deterministic. <laughs> okay, I think we can slowly start and... Um... And then uh, um, people will come in in a few minutes, but I think we can just start for now. Um, yeah, welcome everyone to the Science Society. It's another um, amazing evening with um, a whole group of uh, guest speakers here today. We are very honored to have you here. And um, let me give you a little bit of background information about um, today's guest speakers. Uh, so, um, uh, Dr. Dario Rosa, he is the senior researcher and the team leader at the Center of Theoretical Physics of Complex Systems um, and the uh, Institute for Basic Science, IBS, in Korea. And uh, he's uh, a theoretical physicist currently working on quantum chaos, quantum many body physics, and quantum thermodynamics mostly. He ha um, got his PhD degree in Milano, Bico Coca. I'm sorry if I said that Coca. wrong. Coca. <laughs> I'm from Portugal. <laughs> so bad. Uh, it's the only town I've ever been in Italy. I was in the Alps and in Milano. <laughs> and um, in 2014, in string theory and quantum gravity. Um, after that, um, he moved directly to Korea. We, he was first a postdoc at the Seoul um, National University, uh, Korea Institute for Advanced Studies, um, KIAS. Um, and uh, finally, he joined the IBS in 2021, where he's the leading, um, the leading um, of research group of quantum chaos in many body systems. Um, he's also associate professor at the University of Science and Technology, UST. And in his free time, 
um, if he has some free time, he also enjoys video games and running. And we have also today as guest speaker uh, Dominic Safranek. I hope I said that right. He was born in the Czech Republic. He did his PhD in Nottingham, UK and Vienna, Austria. Uh, then he did his uh, postdoc in Santa Cruz, California. And right now he resides in South Korea as an independent researcher. And he studied and worked on a variety of topics, including interpretations of quantum mechanics, quantum meteorology, um, and Gaussian quantum states, um, and the concept of entropy. Mm -hmm and quantum batteries um, um, that um, he loves deep discussions and sharing his knowledge so you're perfect here <laughs> in this club and on clubhouse in general i think and he enjoys outdoor sports dancing playing the piano and getting lost in music and um our um third guest speaker the first author of the paper Yu Yon and Jim, uh, he was born in Seoul, uh, South Korea. He got his bachelor's degree in physics um, at the Seoul National University. He worked at the Institute of Basic Science as a research assistant. And now he is in a master course in Seoul National University. He worked on quantum batteries especially uh, the bound of the quantum advantage for power of quantum batteries. And now he is studying how to quantify entanglement to estimate the quantum advantage of quantum batteries and quantum meteorology. It's such a great honor to have here um, three amazing and interesting guest speakers. So we are very honored to having you. Thank you for taking the time. So I guess I'm gonna start now. Do you wanna ask uh, your general question, Victoria, first, or? I would be happy to ask my general question. Sure. Yeah, you, all of you, and the initiative that you're here with all of your different um, angles that you have approached your work from. And so, so my general question is, did you always find yourself interested in science or maybe you made a, a career change or even a change in interests? Or if you were always interested in science, can you say when you noticed that in your life, that, that science was going to be what you focused on? And then beyond that, if you can share what brought you to the work that you're doing today, what was the path that you followed. So um, thank you. We can maybe go in the same order that Katarina introduced you, if that's easy. Okay, so I can start. So, well, uh, it depends when you say always, but yeah, I started to be, let's say, to think of myself as a scientist around the end of the high school, I would say. Um, before I was uh, fully focused on sport, let's say. Uh, around the, the end of my high school, I started to be interested in science and on physics in particular. And I said, okay, let's try. Uh, at the time I was still 
let's say, putting more efforts in sports than in studying. But okay, let's say, let's say the moment in which I realized that I was a scientist was when I started the uni. I mean, I started, let's say, my my bachelor degree because at that time I I didn't have time anymore to do sport, and I realized that I was enjoying more my life by doing science than doing sport. So that more or less the moment in which I fully realized that I wanted to be a scientist. Um, let's say that, uh, I mean, as, as Katarina said, my, my, my career has been a, a bit, in some sense, uh, I mean, diversified in the sense that I began my, my, my scientific activity as a researcher during the PhD. And at the time I was working on a completely different topic, string theory and quantum gravity. The turning point that eventually led me to this uh, to this work uh, came out during my second postdoc, so I will say 2016. At the time, I was still interested in quantum gravity, but I started to learn that quantum black holes are supposed to be highly chaotic objects. So again, with the idea of understanding better quantum gravity, I started to study quantum chaos and quantum many-body physics. And after a while, I, I, I start to, let's say, to, 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 to realize that I was finding more, at least in my taste, more interesting questions in quantum chaos and quantum many-body physics directly um, instead of in quantum gravity. So I, I switched my, my career to, to this topic around 2016 as a natural, let's say, continuation essentially because I realized that I was enjoying more in, in studying directly quantum chaos rather than as an application to quantum gravity. I would say that's it. Then I got interested on uh, how to make, to come out with possible applications of quantum many-body physics, and that led me to, to quantum batteries. Yeah, I think I've done. Mm, thank you. It's really fascinating. It's like, you know, when you got a really good book in your hands and you just want to know what's going to happen next, because the research that you're all presenting is, you know, we're, we have great interest in it. We're really excited to hear what you have to say. And now we get to hear how you got there. So thank you. And whoever you. is next, please. Yeah, so uh, I, uh, I think I was scientist basically since I was born. Um, like, I, since I remember, I was watching documentaries and TV. Um, but the, I think the, the turning point was for me at the age of 11. I remember watching this uh, documentary about special theory of relativity. Uh, and then completely got it, at least, you know, from the basic kind of point of view of an 11-year-old. And then... I find that of all the people that that um, hear this question, everybody knows the answer. You know, nobody feels like they have to really search too hard. It's always right there. Thank you, Dominic. Mm -hmm. And next uh, is Ju Yang. Sorry. Oh, uh, sorry, if you weren't No, that's no, sorry. Yeah, I, oh, to me, not yeah. yeah. Uh, where did I stop? I think I muted myself. Yes. I think so too. I thought, well, maybe, okay, short answer, okay. <laughs> but no, please continue. Dominic. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm not sure where I stopped. So, uh... you mentioned high school or. Yeah, you made one. Oh, statement. yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah. Okay, I see. Yeah, so I was, I was basically a scientist from the very early age. Uh, I was always watching documentaries. 
but I think the turning point was when I was 11 and I watched this documentary about special theory of relativity. Um, and I remember running to the kitchen and explaining her uh, dilation of time and contraction of length. And uh, she thought I'm making this up, but I wasn't. Uh, and at that point, I was just really interested in physics. Um, yeah, I also had a kind of uh, changes of topics in my life, not, not near as uh, big as uh, Dario, but also studied well for different topics. I think the, my, my main ones are the metrology, which is the science of measurement. So maybe you heard uh, uh, about the detection of gravitational waves. So uh, I am doing theory of that kind of measurements using like lasers and um, how to measure stuff. Uh, and then entropy, but uh, this work is on quantum batteries, which is actually quite related to that. I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you for finishing that. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I think my case is also, uh, is similar to Dominic. As I remember, I I I read uh, I always read the rather book about the science and, but I think that there is the important point for me because in Korea, uh, the men have to go to military service, and I also did it and then. Uh, when I when I work when I did the work meter service, I have a lot of time, but I can't do I couldn't do the study or the research on the science. So, so in that moment, I I I had said, uh, I yeah, I think that I thought that yes, I'm. I'm person who who really want to do the to the study and the research on the science. So then after and after meter service, uh, I'm interested in the kind of the how to how to um, how to manipulate the quantum state or quantum mechanics to uh, uh, to apply the apply to technology so it is it was very the great opportunity to me that that uh, I can I, I could join the UST because the the Dario or Dario did the Dario did the uh, how to say that the quantum thermodynamics and quantum batteries it is very very what I wanted very one I wanted to do so 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 I'm keep that uh, my interest in science. Yes, thank you. I appreciate your answer, and and I feel like I'm speaking for all of us that we are. Yeah, I cannot I cannot hear uh, any. Victoria, yeah. you're in the matrix. There, yeah. In your work. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I got yeah, the red bar. It's okay. It's, Sorry. <laughs> it's thank, okay. And thank you, you for your wonderful answers and sharing this with us. I think it's always interesting. 
for students and uh, other people to hear about the pathway to science. So uh, yeah, thank you. And um, please feel free to start with the presentation. Thank you. Um, I'm going to start. Um, so I believe you have the presentation open. I think it's up there at the Google Drive. Um, how this is going to work is um, I first present the first part, and Dario continues. Then I finish it off, and they will be then it will be ready for discussions with Julian as well. And please feel free to stop me or Dario at any time to ask questions or or Julian. Um, um, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we decided to do maybe a little bit more general overview because just talking about our paper without the context would be quite boring. Um, so we did general overview and then we have one slide about our result, but I think at that point you will be ready to kind of get it. Um, so that's it. Um, so if you open the presentation on slide one, there's the title which we, we call this quantum batteries and limits on charging. And uh, I must say this, this work has been, the, the main engine of this work has been Julian, who is the student of ours. Um, and uh, thanks to him, we have this wonderful result. Slide two, um, talk about a bit about outline of this talk. Uh, I will first talk about quantum technologies because there where these works belong. A uh, little bit about history, um, uh, technologies that use some quantum effect and then, and then some technologies that are using the entire quantum potential. Um, then uh, we switch to Dario. He will talk about batteries, galvanic batteries, quantum batteries, general, generally batteries. Um, and afterwards, he'll talk about uh, the advantage of uh, quantum batteries compared to, let's say, all other type of batteries. Um, then we, uh, then he, talk, he will talk about our results. Um, and finally, I'll take over again and do the general thing again. And uh, I think maybe you are interested, okay, when will, when will we see this thing in practice? Um, so I, I prov uh, provide some estimates and conclude the talk. It's aimed to be at about 20 minutes, so not too long, but not too short either. Uh, so you are not too tired to uh, ask questions afterwards. Thank you very much. That sounds great. I'm looking forward to that. All right. Me too. Slide three. So quantum technologies. The first quantum experiment that was ever done was in 1887. That was about 30, maybe 40 years before invention of quantum physics, the theory of it. And it was done by Michelson and Morley. Maybe you, some of you heard of a Michelson experiment. And uh, this experiment was uh, aimed to um, study the properties of luminous luminiferous ether. Basically, that's the stuff that was believed to carry the uh, light as a waves, uh, the same way as the water carries its waves. And the funny turn on this experiment is that it found that there isn't any, which provided uh, 
uh, one of the um, one of the experimental proofs of special relativity and, and grounds uh, grounds for his de derivation about 15 years later. Uh, interestingly, at the time they already know, knew that um, interferometry, which is adding of waves, works as well as for water, as in, in the left picture, as for light. So they already knew this uh, kind of double slit experiment where you have uh, two slits and you shine some light through it, you will get fringes. You've probably seen such experiment uh, done with laser pointer or some laser light, you see these fringes. And this is, uh, this is exactly the reason why they thought there is some luminous ether, because as there is water with, with uh, water waves, there should be something to carry the, uh, the light. And uh, why I say this is the first um, quantum technology experiment is because really with, with light, this is really a quantum effect. Doesn't need to be explained by quantum physics, but it is a quantum effect. Slide four. Then we go a little bit further. Um, year 1912, there's been first application of uh, interference into crystallography. Uh, so that's a study of using uh, these uh, light waves, uh, which X-ray is usually light wave as well, uh, to study uh, composition of materials, uh, chemical structures, molecules, sizes of molecules and it, there has been a, like a gradual improvement on these methods and uh, it's today is routinely used in chemistry department uh, on the right you have uh, you can see the picture uh, this has been a wonderful method uh, it, it's been used to determine chemical structure of penicillin so they, they knew that something works as antibiotics but they didn't know its chemical structure so by no, getting to know this, uh, this led to discovery of other antibiotic, antibiotics. It also determined the structure of insulin so they could mass produce and treat um, diabetes with it. Uh, the same method was used to uh, discover uh, DNA in 1953. And as I said today, it's uh, routinely used. Another quantum technology that uh, was invented was a transistor. So uh, there was a time where the computers uh, were really huge, basically something with a, with a, with a fraction of a power of your smartphone uh, was filling out entire rooms. But when the invention of transistor, um, these computers got very miniaturized. Uh, actually, the, uh, nobody knew at the time when transistor was invented how it actually works, and that was that was determined only ten years later using some advanced methods in quantum physics. Uh, so again, similar with crystallography, um, uh, the, the explanation of how it works came later. So the experiments were in front of uh, theory at the time. 1960, invention of laser. The method of this was uh, known from, uh, from Einstein already uh, because that's the thing he got the Nobel Prize for. Uh, he got Nobel Prize for photo effect, and that's exactly what laser uses. It was it was quite difficult to uh, invent it, but today we also use laser routinely in in, for example, playing CDs, Blu-rays. But uh, so you know, maybe not not as common now, uh, but it used to be in each of your computers. 
Uh, funny thing, also uh, one other quantum effect that's been using uh, that we've been using to this day is is effect called giant magnetic resistance. Uh, maybe you remember a time around 1997 when our hard drives were 10, 10 megabytes, so maybe 100 megabytes at most, and then suddenly it jumped to gigabytes. That was a huge jump, and that's exactly because they started using this quantum effect, which uh, allows efficient storage. Um, so these were the quantum uh, technologies um, that are using just quantum effect. So these are not real quantum technologies in the sense that they did something that was done before, but just better um, using some quantum effect that was explained later. But now on slide five, we are getting to a, to a thing what I call a real quantum technologies. And those are the ones that are using the full quantum potential. And by that, I mean um, they are using uh, quantum states uh, that are designed and prepared to do something they want uh, together with their quantum effects like interference. Uh, and we already have uh, some, uh, some working uh, um, technologies today. Uh, some are the, the first that are already used in, in large numbers um, are the quantum sensors, one of which is gravitational wave interferometers. Uh, in about 2015, um, they detected the gravitational wave just for the first time. This experiment lasted about 70 years. Uh, so 70 years in making, uh, they managed to detect these waves, which were predicted in 1916. So it was 99 years after they were predicted, they finally managed to measure it. And the way they did it, they started injecting quantum states of light. So not just the thing that comes out of your later pointer, but something more complex modified using uh, its quantum potential to the fullest effect. And this, this managed to improve the sensitivity in such a way that they detected the change in distance in about size one-tenth of a proton on the length of four kilometers. Uh, so that's that's really huge. Um, it was a it was a big discovery back then, and uh, of course he got a Nobel Prize as a result for it in twenty seventeen. So you can see these these things are becoming real now. Uh, another real application is uh, in quantum secure communication. These uh, these things are now uh, used to transmit sensitive data between banks in uh, Beijing and Shanghai. But uh, I'm I'm sure you know there are other uh, applications where it can be used. Uh, good thing about quantum physics and secure communication is that it's proven as as long as the laws of quantum physics hold, it's proven not to be breakable. You, you cannot you cannot break into a conversation without anybody noticing. Um, and finally, maybe you've heard of quantum computers, which were conceived by Benio Feynman in 1981. Uh, on, the, on the picture below, you can see a picture of quantum computer and the, and the main part of it, which is called superconducting qubits. Qubit. Um, 20 years later, after it was conceived, it was invented um, in 2001. And, and about three years ago, they, they managed to build it uh, big enough and, and good enough that the there was one very specific task, not very useful one, 
but a specific task when uh, it seemed to out outperform uh, anything you can do on a classic computer. Any questions so far? Um, yeah, please go ahead if you have questions, um, slash your microphones. Um, I'm, I'm good until now, but if you do have... Okay, I'll just I go was going to ask, sorry, is that yeah. when you're talking about the, the, the quantum uh, computers, um, that's something that um, they're working on a lot right now, right? Like, um, that's the kind of thing that will revolutionize computers as we know it, right? All of the computers we've got right now will be completely, like, hackable, and they're going to seem slow and boring compared to that, aren't they? Uh, yes and no. So there are known tasks which no, nobody knows how to do efficiently on classical computer, uh, which is, for example, factorizing large numbers. Um, this factorizing large numbers is, is a kind of important topic because that's how our secure, secure communication works today. For example, when you communicate with a bank, uh, it's based on factorizing some large numbers into prime numbers, like 21 is equal to 3 times 7. So those things can be done efficiently on a quantum computer. So basically, if you build working example of this, you can break this uh, secure code and break into banks. Um, so that's that's a, that's a, that's one thing they could be efficient at. But generally, uh, there are many things where it is known to be more. It is not known to be more efficient. So most likely, we will still use our computers today. But it's true there are some oh. specific tasks that it's going to be better. Um, okay. One other thing which I am most excited about, but for that you need a full working version of quantum computer, is uh, chemical simulations, chemistry. So, so you can imagine we still have chemistry departments today. Why? That's because it's too difficult to simulate on a computer. Uh, with with the when we build a quantum computer, this uh, this chemistry will potentially become obsolete because you can efficiently simulate chemical reactions. So you could run a million, million reactions each day instead of hiring PhD students in chemistry. That's an um, incredibly exciting idea. Thank you very much for answering the question. Yeah, that's yeah. where I wanted to uh, um, uh, introduce her to Lixue Cheng. She, she uh, developed a machine learning, new machine learning system to uh, look for, um, to work in chemistry and look for molecular properties. <laughs> She's here. Oh, like, awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read some some uh, uh, papers about that. It seems like it's working so well, maybe so well to the extent it's almost dangerous uh, in determining things that could help or harm. Um, so I, I might be interested in that talk that, that comes after. Um, okay. Please continue. So there are no more. Yeah, I'll continue then. Um, slide six. Um, to explain the, the, the real quantum technology, let me talk a bit about qubit. Um, so the real quantum technology uses interference, as we talked about, but this is combined with uh, with these quantum states and what is a quantum state? Um, 
I think the easiest way to explain it on 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 an example of computer versus quantum computer is that computer uses um, bits, which which is a unit of information, which has either zero or one. And this is what you can see in this first picture. We have zero and one, um, and uh, we denote zero by uh, pointing the arrow up and uh, one pointing uh, with the arrow to the right. Uh, and these are the, the only two options you have with classic computer. The quantum computer is somewhat special because uh, you can have zero, one, or anything in between. And uh, that anything in between you can you can see on the middle, middle right. Uh, and you can add this zero plus one together and get something like 0.5, uh, which is denoted by this arrow pointing in 45 degrees up. And this is this is using this quantum effect called superposition, which is basically the main uh, main engine behind interference. Interference is just superposition. And why is this useful? Is because by doing this, you can explore a larger space that you couldn't with classical computer. So you can you can somehow uh, get to know a little bit more in some specific topics. Um, than you could uh, with classic computer because when when things are together you can you can reach the conclusion faster which is the main reason why quantum computers uh, work better in certain tasks than classical ones and maybe if we had of entanglement uh, that's what Einstein called a spooky action at distance and entanglement is nothing else and a superposition between joint states. So if you have uh, 0, 0 bit and 1, 1 bit, and then you turn them into qubits, you can again add them together and you get 0, 0 plus 1, 1. Unfortunately, I cannot draw a picture of this because this is a really uh, complex four-dimensional object that lives in some mathematical structure. So I just took uh, some picture from the internet uh, to show what this means. So these are the, the quantum states and uh, the real quantum technology uses these quantum states together with interference and other quantum effects. And uh, uh, maybe here you have some questions for me and uh, if not, uh, this is the part where Dario takes over. So any questions? Okay, maybe not. So maybe I can start. So. Yeah, let's keep in mind this, uh, especially this last uh, slide, last, I mean, slide number six, because we'll be, uh, I mean, we'll come back in a moment, but now we take, a, we take a break and we go to describe what a battery is, uh, because essentially our work was about quantum batteries. So Dominic explained what, what is quantum. Now let's explain what, it, what a battery is. Now, um, I mean, here we started with a very simple example. We took a, man, a mountain dam. And we claim that this is a battery. Uh, okay, let's see why. So let's see uh, the main ingredients uh, that made uh, a mountain dam a battery, and then we will see how to further generalize this uh, this idea. So what is the main point uh, in this picture uh, in the mountain? Well, water would like to fall down. They, I mean, water doesn't want to stay there. Would like to fall down. However, we put a dam and we keep the battery. We keep the um, the water there. 
So we can say that the energy is stored because uh, we know that when water falls, uh, a, turbi a, turbi a turbine, turbi, okay, I'm not very good with pronunciations, anyway, these spinning objects, which is below. Um, maybe we have a question. Uh, ah, no, 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 okay. Um, we start to spin, and by spinning, uh, this will produce, for example, some electricity, so we produce some work. So the idea is that uh, we, we have an energy stored in our dam, in our battery, because essentially water wants to fall down, and in falling down uh, creates, uh, let's say, converts, let's say, potential energy to kinetic energy, and this uh, creates, I mean, create the basis to make a work production. So a battery is essentially uh, something where you store energy and you wait uh, for the moment in which this energy is necessary. Now, the other main concept that I want to, to make clear is what charging a battery means. So charging a battery, essentially in this example, uh, is the following. I mean, when, I, when the dam is, um, is, um, uh, is empty, there is no energy, because essentially there is no water that can fall down. So charging our battery means that we take from, from below, uh, okay, it's not what happened because typically water is coming from, from above, but okay, in, in this example, we think that we take water from below and we bring it up to, to, the, to the dam again. So this is charging the battery because we spend some energy because of course bringing water up uh, costs a, uh, a lot of work to us, but we store this energy in the dam. So charging the battery means moving again water, in this case, from below where water would like to stay to a new state, let's say, which is high, uh, at higher energy because water doesn't want to stay there. But in this way, our, our uh, let's say, work uh, of bringing uh, the water there become a potential energy that can be stored and used later. So these are the two main concepts. Uh, which I explained with this example. Now we go to slide number eight, and we can go to something a bit more technical, uh, which is, but which use exactly the same, let's say, uh, concepts, which is the galvanic uh, battery, which I think was one of really of the first examples of batteries, uh, chemical batteries that came out in history. So here in this picture, we have two different liquids. Uh, one uh, is, uh, okay, here there are uh, people that probably are much, much more expert than me in chemistry, so they can say better things. But okay, we have a, a, a liquid in which there is uh, some, uh, some uh, zinc, uh, zinc material and another liquid where there is uh, Cu. Now, uh, here, what played the role of uh, water in the previous slides, uh, this time are the electrons. The electrons would like to stay on Cu, but they are kept on the, on, the, on the zinc. So they are here, but they would like to move. So in, again, uh, with the previous example in mind, we can say that uh, we have some energy stored because our electrons would like to move and is ready to be released. Now, when we create the connections between the zinc and the Cu, uh, let's say the electrons are free to flow and they want to do that. So they move to Cu where uh, they do, um, they essentially take the Cu, uh, I mean the cations, the Cu, um, the Cu++ plus plus, which are in the solution and they make a reaction and they create Cu metallic and at the same, uh, at the same rate, 
some zinc which is in the in the metallic bar become a cation and go to the solution. So this is more or less the same uh, that we saw be, I mean, uh, above when water fall down, so uh, this time these are the electrons, that leave the zinc and move to the CO. And in doing this uh, process, uh, they can, uh, let's say, release their kinetic energy and, for example, create, uh, um, I mean, light, uh, light a lamp and something like that. So in this case, what does it mean recharging a battery? Uh, I don't think this kind of battery can be recharged, but okay, let's assume that it can be done. Recharging the battery will mean that we take again the electrons and we bring it, we bring them back to the, to the, to the zinc bar. Mm. In this way, let's say we store again the energy and uh, our battery will be again charged. Um, I apologize in advance if my explanation is super uh, dumb, uh, but okay. Um, at least for our purposes, this is enough. And okay, so what is the general lesson that we can learn from these two slides? The general lesson is that a battery has some stuffs, which can be electrons in the case of the chemical, which can be water in the case of the dam, but there is some stuffs which is brought forcefully uh, where this stuff doesn't want to stay. So in the case of the water, the water is brought in the dam, in the case of electrons, they are brought to, to zinc, which is not their favorite friends. Now, the, the idea of quantum battery is essentially the same, in which now these stuffs are qubits. So, um, so let's go back to the, um, to the idea that has been introduced by Dominic in his uh, last slide, and we go to slide nine, where now we have our qubits that we know they can stay in two states, so let's say state up and state, let's say, right, or zero and one. And okay, so the first, uh, uh, the first key ingredient in order to create a battery is to create a preferred direction, a preferred orientation. So uh, what we have to do is to, let's say, convince our electrons to choose an orientation. And this is, can be done, for example, by, by a magnetic field. By creating a magnetic field, we can create a preferred orientation such that our qubits prefer to stay, for example, in the state up, which is the state zero. So this is the state in which they have no energy because they are, uh, let's say, at the minimum of the energy that they can explore. On the other hand, when they are in the state one, which is a state, uh, let's say, which the qubits are oriented along, uh, uh, I mean, towards right, they are charged because they don't want to stay uh, in this position, they want to move to the zero state, but they are forcefully uh, took in that particular state. So charging our battery means that, uh, let's say, without uh, their intention, uh, our qubits are brought to the state uh, one. So here we create energy, or let's say we, we put energy, we store energy into our battery, into our qubit, by force this qubit to stay in a state that it doesn't want it uh, to stay. Now, so, so far, uh, this, I mean, is using, let's say, a quantum idea because it's using qubit, but is exactly the same of our zinc or our uh, water before. Essentially, we take something, we bring it to a state that it doesn't want to stay, and we store energy there. So far, no reasons to use any quantum technology. It's just uh, a game. However, an advantage in using quantum states 
appears when we have not just one cell, which means one qubit, but we start to have more than one. So let's assume, for simplicity, that we have two qubits. Of course, I mean, uh, the same, exactly the same idea will apply for many more qubits, but let's focus for, a moment, for the moment on two, which is by far simpler. So in this case, our low energy state, the discharged one in which the battery is not charged, is the state in which both the qubits this time are in the state zero. And uh, it's not uh, hard to, let's say, to understand that to charge our battery, we need to go to a state in which both are in the state uh, one. So uh, here I'm denoting with zero, zero, the, uh, let's say, the fully discharged state, and one, one, the fully charged state. So charging means going from one case to the other. So the, what we call quantum advantage uh, essentially provide an answer to the following question. How fast we are in bringing our qubits from the state 0, 0 to the state 1, 1? And how fast we can do this process compared to a classical process? So the idea is that suppose that now, let's say, these qubits are charged, uh, let's say they are brought from 0, 0 to 1, 1 via a classical technology. This can be done with a certain speed, and uh, it, the speed can be measured. And then the question is, can we use some intrinsic quantum, let's say, feature? Cioè, can we make use of this fact that, that these are not bits, but they are qubit, in order to make use uh, of the quantum part in order to make uh, this process of going from 0, 0 to 1, 1 faster? The answer is yes. And to understand why, let's first uh, explain how these two qubits can be classically charged. And OK, classical, uh, classically, we don't have many, many options. There are essentially just two options, parallel and serial. So parallel, the idea is that you have your two qubits that now I'm representing with these two rectangular shape, and okay, we take two chargers. So we connect one qubit, or let's say one battery, one cell, to one charger. Sorry, this yeah. is, I just want to add that this is slide 10. Ah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always forget to mention. Yeah, I'm going to slide 10. Yeah, thanks, Dominic. Um, so on slide 10, we, we take um, these two qubits, these two rectangular shapes, and since we say, okay, we have two qubits, let's charge them independently. We charge one of them, and at the same time, we charge the second one. Now, of course, let's say the time to charge a qubit is the same of charging two qubits because they are charged at the same time. So this is fine and actually convenient, but requires two chargers. So essentially we are, let's say, a little bit cheating because we are putting twice the effort in doing the same job. So uh, this is what is called parallel charging, in which essentially in order to charge faster, you need to increase the, let's say, uh, the potentials that you need to play, you need to put in, in the game in order to charge. Another, an alternative, uh, which become much, which become slower, is the serial one. So in serial one, we have two cell, but we have just one charger, and so the only thing we can do is to charge one cell at a time. So we take, again, in the slide 10, we take the, the charger and we charge the first qubit. Once the first qubit is charged, we, uh, let's say, detach 
the charger, we go to the second qubit and we charge the second qubit. So if you do this process with one charger, we need twice the time because we need to, uh, let's say, uh, charge twice, uh, we need twice the time because you need a certain amount of time to charge the first qubit and then the same amount of time to charge the second qubit. This is the serial approach. And classically, there is no other way to charge. Um, however, and here we go to slide 11, quantum charging, in a sense, is really a combination, a combo between parallel and serial. So at the quantum level, and this is the main idea, is that two qubits form a new entity. This is, uh, let's say, this is really the moment in which entanglement and superposition are at work and they collaborate to create the charging advantage. Let's try to understand uh, um, this idea with the, um, with the square that we draw on the left. So on the left, I'm putting on the, on the four uh, vertices of the square, the possible four states that uh, we can, let's say, uh, explore classically. So there is the state 0, 0, which is our starting state. There is the state 0, 1, in which one qubit has been already charged, but the other no. Uh, correspondingly, the state 1, 0, which is just the other way around. And finally, our target state, which is the state 1, 1. Now, if we want to stay with just one charger, we saw in previous slide, in slide 10, that the only thing we can do is to do a serial charging. So essentially what uh, uh, our, let's say, path in the space of states, classically, is that you go from 0, 0 to 0, 1, and then to 1, 1. Or alternatively, we go to, from 0, 0 to 1, 0, and then to 1, 1. So let's say with classical charging, the only thing we can do is to explore the boundary of this square, and we cannot do anything more. However, and this is the quantum magic, when we have quantum states and when we make use of quantum technology or let's say quantum principles, these two qubits now form a new entity and we have a plethora of states which lives inside the square, not just at the boundaries. And here we put an example, this state 0, 0 plus 1, 1, which is the entangled state that um, Dominic described in slide six. This is a state which is absolutely non-classical. You cannot have anything similar classically, but these are states that at the quantum level are at disposal and they can be used. So pictorially, uh, charging in the quantum way means that instead of exploring just the boundary of this uh, square, you can explore the interior. And so you can travel from 0, 0 to 1, 1 via the diagonal instead of the perimeter. So you get an advantage, not because you are, char you are moving with larger speed. Larger speed will be the correspondence of the parallel charging, but this is a bit cheating in the sense that you need to put a larger potential. Instead, exactly with the same speed, you, uh, you, do, uh, you move from 0, 0 to 1, 1 via a shortest path which can be, uh, because we know that the diagonal of a, of a square is shorter than the sum of, uh, this is Pythagora theory, is shorter than, than, uh, than the sum of the, um, than the sum of the, of the edges. So the, the real essence of quantum advantage is not that we go faster, but 
we are, let's say, our state are smarter and they can find better path to move from the initial state to the target state. Now, on the right of this slide, we do it, uh, we, we draw this uh, with, a, with, a, with a picture in which we have a table, which is our, uh, our potential, our happy potential, U. And now, uh, let's say we compare how we can do this charging at the, at the quantum level above and at the classical level. At the quantum level, we have that all the qubits can simultaneously take uh, energy from a single potential. And so we have a central state in which they are partially oriented. This is pictorially, I mean, uh, it's not really, but okay, pictorially is the equivalent of zero, zero plus one, one. And then they go directly to one, one. So to the final state. Instead, what we can do classically is just create a queue and each qubit at once go to the table, get charged by, the, by our potential and uh, and go. So uh, the quantum advantage is really this collective effect, which is something that goes because we, by quantum uh, properties, we have new states uh, which develop a faster, uh, let's say not a faster, a shorter path in the space of states. So uh, now we go to slide 12, which is essentially what we did. So this was an idea that was already around in the literature. However, what we did is that we proved that the best possible advantage that you can get out of n qubits is n times faster. So if we have n qubits via quantum methods, we can charge n times faster than uh, with classical methods. So to give an example, if we have a battery which is made by 10 cells, this battery charges 10 times faster, exactly with the same potential, just because it can explore better paths. So now let's go to numbers such that we can probably understand better how far reaching are the consequences of this result. Suppose that we have an electric vehicle. An electric vehicle that is about 200 cells. Uh, as far as I understand, for some Tesla, we arrive even to 7,200. But okay, let's stay with 200 cells. Good. That means that if we could use quantum technologies and we could replace these 200 cells with 200 quantum cells, this means that by quantum technology, we could get an advantage uh, in the sense that the time to charge this battery made of 200 cells will be 200 times faster which in numbers, it means that if we could make a quantum charging station, instead of 30 minutes to charge these 200 cells, we could take just nine seconds. And if we could make our quantum charging process uh, at home, we could pass from 10 hours to just three minutes. Something that is important and uh, it created some misconception when let's say, not the paper, but uh, let's say the, the press release came out. This is a very different, this will require a very different technologies. It's not a standard charging which you plug uh, your, uh, your car into the socket, uh, let's say, no, not the car, you plug, uh, let's say, the battery into the socket. Will be a completely different technology, uh, which definitely will require some time. But uh, for uh, the estimates of how much it will require, I leave uh, the floor again to Dominic. Before that, if somebody wants to comment something, I'm happy. Otherwise, uh, I leave Dominic to make a, a prediction of how much it will take to, give, uh, to see this technology at work. I, I just, yeah, go ahead, Jamie. Go ahead. 
No, no, please, you go first, please. I just wanted to comment that I'm really waiting for your technology. Uh, because... Hey, yeah. <laughs> All of us. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I have a Tesla and I live in New York City, so I always have to go to a garage to charge my car. It's so annoying. So, <laughs> anyway, let me go ahead. <laughs> I was going to ask, when you mentioned that this is going to be a very different type of technology, um, yes. So it's not going to be like an upgrade or anything. Is no. this going to be similar to like maybe it's a bad example, but you know, you know the old telephone booths that were put your pay phones all over the country that was put so that people could call. But then when you got this the cell phone, these things practically became obsolete overnight. Is it going to become? like that is it going to make all this current technology for charging obsolete or or will it eventually probably yes uh, but this eventually could be probably long <laughs> so yes but yes the idea is a bit like that i mean um, let's say i mean i want to, to point out this because for example when the press release came out we received some criticisms by saying oh but if you charge so fast you will burn your charging station the point is that we will not use the current technology. So we will not burn anything because we will not use the, 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 our technology. We will not, uh, exactly the fact that we will use the same potential is what we will prevent us to, to burn everything. It's a bit like, you know, currently, with, currently, it is expected that with quantum computers, we will be able to perform tasks that... Uh, normally require years in just few seconds. And nobody currently objects, oh, but this will burn the chip, simply because a quantum computer will be not based on chips. Here is more or less the same. Uh, when we will have quantum batteries at work, we will not use the current technology. And I agree with you, that sooner or later will become obsolete, but maybe later. But okay, let's see what Dominic, yeah, please. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, but let's see what Dominic, what are, yeah. Yeah, so uh, thank you very much. Uh, fascinating topic. Uh, I just have a question regarding to the uh, slide, um, the specifically the slide explaining the quantum charging process. Uh, slide, uh, let's see, 11. Can you mute or um, you're oh, okay. a lot of Sorry. Noise. Yeah, no, yeah. Is, yeah I'm sorry. A, uh, okay. Sorry, hold Go on a second. Quiet area. Thanks, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, yeah maybe one. Yeah, maybe one possibility is that, uh, Hansen, you can write uh, your question in the chat and we can comment on that. And then you can tell us if you are satisfied by the, by the answer. Okay, cool. Great. I did have one before we go on to the predictions of when we get our hands on this technology. Um, I'm, trying yeah. to, I'm trying to picture mm -hmm. an implementation of this. And, and so it's, just so I understand... Um, the advantage is realized because um, we're going to, uh, you know, increase energy into many uh, entangled states simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and so by, by pushing, um, since they are entangled, that's the quantum trick here, is they're entangled. Right. So we, uh, we can apply that uh, potential to all of them simultaneously and it's as a system it um, you know rotates in this in this quantum space uphill and it recharges 
Go ahead. So, so I'm trying to, um, so there's a few questions about how that might work. I mean, there, there's, for each of these cells, there has to be a, a very large energy, or ideally a large energy difference in the state you're driving, you know, the charge and discharge state. But then... Uh, yes, go ahead then. So, so then, um, but you, but you're going to drop, you're going to drop a potential across all of them at once. Mm -hmm. So it, it's certainly not like the charging, you know, cable that we have today. No, we're gonna, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. So, yeah. you know, I can imagine some, you know, some, some chamber or something, but we're in essence, um, um, but it's because they're entangled and the fact that they're, they don't lose their entanglement on discharge. Right, mm -hmm. they, they still stay. Well, or... they don't, actually, don't lose is a bit wrong. Let's say uh, the initial state zero zero is not entangled. Mm -hmm. The final state one one is not entangled. The entanglement is in between. So essentially, during the charging process, they become entangled. The final state is not entangled anymore. And the so you state... let them, yeah. So this discharging lets them, um, you know, dephase and become, a, a, you know, disentangled. But the charging process is um, restores the entanglement. Uh, in between, yes. Even the final state, let's say the the final state, which is the charged one, because one one is the charged state, is not entangled anymore. Is uh, is a product I state. I see. So it's, it's only the between. path. Okay. It's only the path. Yes. Yes. Uh, correct. Let me also emphasize, but this is something that Dominic will 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 explain a bit better. Um, this is not only theory. I mean, uh, elite. I mean, there is, uh, there are few, really few, probably just one experiment, which relies uh, in in a lab this quantum advantage. So it's not only theory. Uh, he will probably say something a bit more about this, but let me say that there is, a, or at least one experiment in which this quantum advantage is observed and measured. Of course, there is a long path be, belong uh, between an experiment and the actual technology. Uh, let me let me go to well, Hans. Well, yeah, if, please. If I can ask, um, do you have uh, a reference or a link for that one experiment that you're alluding yes, to? Yes, sure. Uh, let me, okay, I could, uh, okay, I will send them the chat such that everybody can, can see the experiment. Great, thanks. Uh, of course, the paper is technical. I hope uh, that, I mean, is, is, a, is, a, is a technical paper, but I think is decently readable. Let me also see, okay, so Hansen is asking, can you explain the quantum charging process in details? The diagram shows the diagonal path from 0, 0 to 1, 1. It seems the classical parallel charging can achieve the same apparent path. Uh, in yes and no, can achieve exactly the final state, 1, 1. But the classical one just <clears throat> run over uh, run over the boundary, over the, perimet the, the perimeter. So it goes from 0, 0 to 0, 1, and then to 1, 1. So the final state is the same, but the length of this path is longer because, uh, let's say, the sum of the two edges is longer than the diagonal. On the other hand, the quantum... Uh, no, what about parallel charging? Parallel charging is uh, a bit different. Parallel charging will go from 0, 0 to 1, 1, but uh, uh, let's say, um, uh, how can I say, will not, uh, let's say, it's not a fair comparison because 
you have to take two potentials to do that. So you are using, you are doubling, let's say, the potential. So you're not making a fair comparison because the quantum one is only using one potential. So I cannot, I cannot draw on this, um, <clears throat> on this picture, let's say, the parallel charging because this, this picture is assuming that both quantum and classical are using one potential. So uh, this is an important point. I mean, to make uh, a, a fair comparison, you need to be sure that the amount of energy that you put uh, in the full process is the same uh, in the two processes. So otherwise you can always doubling the potential and get a better speed, but just let's say, because you make uh, faster uh, your, um, let's say you increase the speed, but this is what finally in the, in the classical case bring, will bring you to burn uh, the, the, the charging station because you need to put an enormous amount of potential in order to be fast enough. Is it clear? Um, uh, Dario, I have, uh, is my uh, voice uh, okay? Can you hear uh, okay? Yeah, I have a, a similar uh, question with uh, as uh, Serena and also uh, Hanson in the uh, mm -hmm. slides number 11, where you explain the charging process of, of the quantum charging. Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. so uh, that's exactly, I mean, I, I also uh, perplexed, uh, might be, you know, I'm lacking some, you know, background uh, uh, yeah. knowledge. The, um, so your the arrow you you're pointing is is a single uh, qubit state, right? From let me see, uh, it's uh, but uh, when we entangle, uh, we mean that uh, we do two composite like multiple, right? Say we entangle two uh, qubits, and then the I mean, is this quantum charging to go from? Uh, the same water dam like energy levels, i.e., you, know, you refer to the same potential, then somehow you have to decohere and uh, make the, uh, the, the, say, two qubits decohere as you were. Uh, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, uh, because I think here if you draw. I, I would, you know, uh, it will be clear to me if uh, more if, if the end states is actually a. Uh, now we have say the without the um, external field uh, B field that uh, uh, the so every state is uh, well it, it can just be, be any states right so equally likely so now the. Uh, so now you have a, a preferential uh, uh, potential. Yes. Then, then after so you, so, I would imagine you take away that uh, uh, external potential. Let it. Mm -hmm. uh, so in the classical case, then it just um, like thermal. It, it just uh, drops to the temperature, right? So it becomes random. That's the end states, right? So the well, what is the um, end states in your quantum uh, charging? What's well, the end state? Cases, the end state is the state one one, which is an eigenstate, um, uh, which is again an eigenstate of uh, of the magnetic field, if you want, but it is an eigenstate with high energy. So the idea is that uh, um, you you pass from zero zero, which to use technical terms is uh, is the ground state, so it's a state without energy. And you bring it to, to the state one one, which is an eigenstate with high energy. 
so both Faraike states, so in principle, uh, I mean, if there are no dissipations and so on, both are states that are stable. The point is that the state 1-1 one, one, uh, has larger energy because it's not an eigenstate, uh, it's not the ground state. Um, the idea is that in both cases, uh, both classically or, uh, or quantum, you, you go from 0, 0 to 1, 1. So the actual energy that you have in your battery at the end is exactly the same. But uh, in, uh, <clears throat> in the classical case, uh, if you use just one charger, you have to pass through the perimeter. The other states are, not, are simply not there. They don't exist because they are states which are quantum. So you need a quantum operation to create these states. On the other end, uh, at the quantum level, you can create uh, these intermediate states, so create the entangled state 0, 0, plus 1, 1, and you can go to, to the state 1, 1 via shortest path. I mean, going again to the, <clears throat> to the battery, to the, uh, to the mountain dam example, is like uh, that uh, uh, you want to bring your water from below to above, and uh, you find uh, a shortcut, you, you find a shortcut, a shortest path. Now, if you find this shortest path, exactly, you do exactly the same work, because in any case, you have to go from, let's say, the valley to the, to the mountain. But if you go exactly at the same speed, you will take less time, because the shortcut uh, makes the shortest path. Now, Hansen was asking the detail of the quantum charging, so I don't know how much in the detail I can go, but typically this... Uh, uh, okay, Eli, yeah, I will, I will, uh, when I finish my part, I will send the, um, the reference such that you can take it for the experiment. Um, now, the detail, I don't know how much, in, how much in technical I can do, but uh, let's say that all this, um, all this charging uh, <clears throat> are done via, uh, let me be technical, uh, via an external quench. So the idea is that uh, you have your, uh, your spin, your, uh, let's say, qubits uh, in a magnetic field. And at a certain moment, you turn on a quench Hamiltonian, so a non-equilibrium Hamiltonian. And this Hamiltonian brings you from the state 0, 0 to the state 1, 1. Now, if this Hamiltonian is entangling, so creates entanglement, is an Hamiltonian in which, uh, let's say, you have interaction terms uh, between the two qubits. So these interaction terms create, during the charging process, states of, of the form 0, 0 plus 1, 1. I don't know if this makes sense to you, Hansen. I don't know how much uh, familiar you are with quantum mechanics, but again, I can't... Uh, yeah, no, I'm... Uh, okay, can, can you hear me? Is it noisy right now? I don't know if yeah. I can... Can you... Yeah, I'm a, uh, I am a theoretical physicist, uh, so <laughs> I guess I... Yeah, so um, the... No, okay, I, I, can, I, can tell you, I can tell you the details. I mean, the classical charging uh, is done, suppose that... Yeah, that suppose real. that... Yeah. Um, I think we are getting quite long now. Maybe right. I should finish yeah, my, my part and then mathematical details between two physicists. Sure, sure, sure. Sorry. Yeah, please, uh, let's postpone this part and let's go to, to Dominic again. Right, because I think that there's always some people leaving, so I just... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. If you want to do the interesting part. Um, yeah, so uh, let me go to slide number uh, 13. Because there will be some questions, okay, how much is this real? Um, uh, so so uh, we'll do a comparison with quantum computers because really this uh, quantum battery is uh, 
is uh, is a uh, two uh, classical computer. Uh, sorry, the, this quantum battery is uh, to a classical battery as uh, the quantum computer is to a classical computer. Uh, so we can to uh, take a look at some timelines. The quantum computer was first conceived in 1981. The theory was done between 1980 to early 2000s. It's still continuing today, but the main issues are answered. Um, and the first experiment was done in 2001. And uh, outperformance of a classical computer was achieved in 2019. So you can see there are about 20 years in between. Now, quantum batteries are much newer concepts, so they, they were first conceived in 2013, and the first experiment is just uh, seven years later. Mike Quack et al. and, and probably uh, Dario will share the uh, link. So now we can speculate on um, when we will reach the outperformance. As Dario mentioned, there is, there is already a proven uh, charging advantage, so they already proven that this can be done. So as a proof of concept, uh, the, it could fa charge faster than a classical battery, but there's maybe not really uh, performance in like a genuine uh, comparison. Um, so uh, uh, I would estimate maybe it takes another seven years since it took another 20 years when, when we have uh, some reasonable uh, advantage in charging speed that's uh, uh, in, a, in a battery that's maybe uh, somewhat comparable to a standard battery. And generally better maybe, uh, since this technology of quantum batteries will use uh, very similar te technology to quantum computers and quantum computers are expected maybe to be generally better or widely used in 2040. The quantum battery maybe at seven years or a bit more. Uh, and we are getting to the year to around 2050. Um, so this is just uh, about quantum technologies. Then on slide number 14, there's also comparison with uh, batteries. Um, I'll skip through the history, but basically there is a long history of uh, classical batteries. Just talk about the, the important stuff. So uh, in, in a battery, to, to be competitive for battery, you need uh, uh, quantity, uh, which is called energy density, which means how much energy can you store in one kilogram. And the uh, lead acid battery, which is the one that's used by combustion car, has uh, about 0.11 megajoules per kilogram, while lithium ion batteries, which are in your Teslas, have about seven times that. And in that uh, 2020 experiment, uh, the battery that they used uh, was very similar to lead acid battery. So the orders are there. This is a great news because it means that this is not completely unrealistic technology because it, it, uh, it achieves uh, similar, similar energy density to other batteries. The trouble with that experiment is that it was done on a battery which, uh, which weighted only 11 micrograms. So to scale it, you need to make it about 100 million times larger. This, this might be issue, maybe not such a big issue, but still uh, this putting into perspective, considering you have, uh, you need to consider scale plus a very different material, different charging, maybe we are getting back to this year 2045, 2060. Also considering that you need the same technologies uh, as with quantum computers. 
Um, so slide 15, I'll skip that. Yeah, uh, basically I would say maybe 2050, give or take about 10 years is when we can expect realistic quantum battery to be competitive on the market. Um, in conclusion, on slide 16, quantum technologies are all around us. There are full quantum technologies already applied, uh, which is gravitational wave detectors and secure communication. And maybe soon, soonish we will see quantum computers too performing in some useful tasks. Quantum batteries use short scuffs in charging. So they charge faster with the same potential because they go through states that are not possible classically. The experimental proof of concept has been already done, but the practical thing we will see you know, in about uh, 30 years, maybe a bit more. And I think that's, uh, that's it. Yeah, thank you so much um, for this wonderful presentation. I have a question for like the general audience. Can you, so what will the materials of the battery consist of and will it help also additionally solving the issue of um, shortage of the current batteries? Because, you know, there are predictions that in, I don't know, the next 20 years we will run out of batteries even sooner if we all switch to electric vehicles. Uh, yeah, maybe I can answer that. So, so there is no uh, shortage of lead and, uh, uh, and sulfuric acid, so we will not run out of batteries. Uh, the, the issue with, uh, with technology today is that really, uh, electric uh, vehicles need this high energy density. And those has been provided so far only by lithium ion batteries. But uh, one can expect maybe there will be some other uh, other types of materials that are being used. Uh, this is this is not a fundamental but rather a technical problem. Uh, as Dario mentioned, there has been uh, many different types of batteries in practice. Uh, especially this this water dam type of battery is already employed in in some areas. Uh, and the lead acid batteries are used everywhere. Uh, lithium ion batteries is used only in those applications that that really needs to save weight because you cannot carry like a huge weight around when you are driving a car. Uh, hopefully, these these issues will be uh, will be solved at some point. I think this shortage is uh, is is troubling in 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 the way that. Uh, we have a shortage because we don't know any other material that, that is competitive with such a high energy density. Now, these quantum batteries use, uh, use uh, different materials, but maybe not so different. The experiment that uh, I mentioned is they use some uh, fluorescence molecule, which is uh, it's some kind of a red dye, actually. Um, I don't know what it, uh, you know, it's, it's a very complex molecule. It's some dye. Um, and and they they charge it uh, with uh, laser field basically. Um, so the charging process is done through lasers, and lasers are kind of quantum. So that's where the quantum speed up is around. And you can uh, you can see that this this type of dye achieves the same energy density as the lead acid battery. But the future batteries will definitely use different technologies because uh, otherwise we will not solve the shortage. Um, so this, this will have to be done both for standard batteries and for quantum batteries. Um, just a 
quick follow-up, but I think I understand better now uh, I'm looking at the diagram more. So uh, am I right that the understanding that uh, uh, your system starts already with uh, entangled states, uh, say zero, zero? Is that for just to, to confirm? Zero, zero is not entangled. So it started from a state which is classical, let's say. It arrives to a state which is, again, classical. This is why you can do a fair comparison between classical and quantum, because the initial and the final state are both non-entangled. The point is that using quantum, you can pass through states which are inaccessible by any classical resource because they are entangled. Is it clear? So this is where my confusion comes in, because mm -hmm. I was thinking if you start with the entangled zero zero, then you can go by phase operation to into the one one by via you know just on the same you know block sphere. But uh, now you're you're confirming my earlier question that your starting and end states are all classical. That yeah. to me is. I have a hard time to understand. I guess I'm begging the same. I'm asking a similar question. What is the exactly charging process? But you seem to have to be to entangle them first, and this at this thing become decohere that as well. So that's also operation that you change this energy of the entire system. You know, I don't know how to compare the starting and the ending. Anyway, so I, I guess... Um, yeah. Well, of course, of course, yeah. you have to... Yeah, please, Dominic. Yeah, maybe I can... Because you answered already, so... Let yes. Me try. Um, yeah, so uh, you start at the, at this classical state, but it's not really classical. It lives in, in Hilbert space, which is... Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it, it, it doesn't live in a classical space. You start from something you call classical, but it's not really classical. But then as you charge, then it becomes slightly entangled, then more entangled, then maximally entangled, then less entangled, then even less entangled, and then it's charged. So it goes through this process of starting not entangled, but quantum. Then it becomes more entangled as you charge because you are taking the shortcut through the, 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 the non-classical states and you end up uh, non-entangled again. And, and this is done with lasers. Uh, people do it, uh, you know, for the last 30 years. Um, so this is this is kind of standard thing to do. So so to follow up, um, so I get that your your the advantage is an entangled path between the two states, um, and you get a maximal efficiency there, or a, a max a minimum time. Let's say um, it would be a it would be reversible as well by the same principle, right? You could actually discharge. In, um, in a much faster rate by this principle that the same factor, right? Correct. Correct. So yes, you could have a, exactly. a, by choosing a, an, a, a quantumly entangled discharge pathway, you could unload all that energy in record time. Correct. E yeah. Although I would say uh, the way how you unload the energy, um, because you need to put that energy somewhere. So if you are discharging through this entangled path, then the thi whatever thing you're charging, it will become in a quantum state of superposed, yes. not charged and completely charged at the same time. Which is, you know, for, for big systems, macroscopic, this is not, not going to happen. Because there will be a lot of, uh, you know, uh, 
uncertainty. A lot of loss of, uh, yeah. you know, so, leakage of uh, quantumness outside. It's going to destroy the quantumness. So you can't return the backwards, the path that you went. You can't discharge oh, yeah. the same path. No, no, you can, you can. Yeah, you can, you can. Uh -huh. But uh, if you want to, if you want to charge something as big as a car, it's just not going to happen. But definitely, you can go down to the initial state. You can choose. Yeah. Let's say these these operations. Uh, I mean, again, to use a technical term, are unitaries. Uh, unitaries. So they can. They are all reversible. So you can always go back mm -hmm. to the initial state. Uh, then the way you could go back to the initial state following a different path or uh, that that will depend. We didn't say anything about how to use this energy. So we didn't say anything about how to discharge your battery. But definitely you are not forbidden to go back to the original state. So the full energy that you have in one one is also can be used, let's say, in principle. Fascinating. Um... I'm sure somebody will think of an evil thing to do with that. But ah, by the way, I, I put in the in the chat <laughs> the, the link. Eh? I don't know if uh, if you notice, but yeah, the link to the experimental paper is in the chat. Okay, great. What last just technical question from the diagram of the different states? The uh, implication is for the number of qubits. It's uh, you know you would classically serially you would take one step at a time, so it'd be in. Uh, you know, in times, whereas the diagonal in however many dimensions are, or qubit, uh, qubit dimensional space, is it is the time that you're talking about the square root of n there? Uh, no, the, unfortunately, the, the, the picture is, is just an analogy. I mean, the advantage is, okay. yes, it's a bit misleading. I know, I did, I, we couldn't find any better way to give the idea, but yes, I agree. The advantage is not the square root of n, is n. So technically, I, this is not really the full picture, but we didn't find any any better way to deliver the message. Okay. But yes. <laughs> okay. Thank you. So uh, first of all, thank you so much for the great work that you shared with us. My question is about by considering the cavity charge protocol, which we know that it uh, it has a I mean explanation for the two level systems and. Uh, is more practical and unconventional cavity charge protocol that we are we know about it. So I was just wondering, just turn that to the I mean synthetic biology and ask you, is that possible to use the same principle for the biomolecular machines? And also can we use the distribution of the charge moves along the cavity axis or not? Uh, I I don't I don't really know. Maybe Dominic, uh, you 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 have something to say? Yeah, I'm not sure if I understood everything because uh, <laughs> I had the trouble hearing. But uh, um, yeah, you can use these quantum charges in molecular machines uh, as long as they they stay quantum. Um, so for things to stay quantum, they really need to be isolated from environment. Uh, this is very difficult if that if that molecule is is surrounded by some medium like water or you know anything else, because they'll be constantly bam bumping into some other things, and uh, that will that will destroy the the, the quantum properties. Uh, but uh, 
Yeah, I, I know there has been some discussions about the role of consumers in biological systems. Uh, what is that? Yeah, so I just thought that that uh, can be applicable in both free system and actually synthetic system. That's why I asked the question. And uh, I mean, cavity charge protocol that I just I talked about, it's very, I mean, high capacity of the energy storage. And I know that there was some uh, application of that in the biomolecular machines. I was just wondering, maybe you had some ideas around that. That's why I asked that. Thank you, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know much about biology capacitors. Uh, that's, uh, that's not my expertise. Yeah, to uh, me, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think Frankie joined the stage. So, Frankie, do you have a question? Hi, um, I joined late. So, if if my question is off topic, I apologize. But how small can fission be applied to this um, problem issue uh, in the in the future new near future or mid future or long future um because it seems so terribly efficient um you know storage is seems like it's going to be eternally a problem and uh but uh you know Dividing atoms seems to be no problem at all, as long as you can control it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure if I exactly got it, but uh, um, yeah, I can say some some issues with these quantum batteries uh, as co and compared to classical. Um, so to get this advantage, first you need uh, to create those highly entangled states. This is uh, technically very difficult. So if you manage to entangle to, uh, entangle like uh, only two qubits at the one time, you get a uh, double the charging speed. If you manage to do three, you get triple. If you manage to do 100, you can get 100 times. But as more you, more you entangle, more difficult it becomes. So uh, I, I don't see a practical way how you could entangle maybe hundreds of them at this point, uh, sensibly, maybe in future. Um, but even if you get just 10 of them, then 10 times faster is, is pretty great. Now, the, the drawbacks of this technology is that, well, okay, so, so this is the kind of issue, but then it has the same drawbacks as any other batteries. And that's uh, the energy density of a battery is not given by any quantumness. It's just given by the material that you use for building up the batteries. And the energy density is, is by far the main issues uh, of today's batteries, also future batteries and all batteries to come. Because you just need uh, your battery to be extreme lightweight to carry enough energy. Um, and, and this will not change with quantum batteries. Um, so if you can if you can charge lithium ion batteries faster uh, by quantum effects, that's great, but it's not gonna uh, make uh, the the cars more efficient uh, when they are running. I I think what I was kind of sort of pointing toward was 
if you had an unlimited number of charging stations based on you know micro fusion reactors uh uh could could you could the problem go away effectively uh yes completely. It, could the could could the efficiency of the battery go away uh you know if that if that's diminishing returns uh with re regard to the lithium ion or uh lithium polymer or whatever um could if you had if you had a highly efficient number of charging stations everywhere that you just stop and go and stop and go and stop and go um and and those stations were you know micro nuclear uh charging stations wouldn't that or or even you know or alternative solar or whatever well wouldn't, if, wouldn't that wouldn't that wouldn't that sort of solve the uh the, the sort of practical problem that we have uh, uh in, the, in the next dozen years or so um well um i guess you can you can either carry that energy around or you need to charge very often and not carry that energy that's the same issue in any transport i mean Elon Musk with his record have exactly the same problem right um that he needs to carry, carry that energy around i think if we have something like a fusion you don't need to worry this problem at all um just to give you some fair comparison uh just in in one kilogram of seawater if you do the fusion on the deuterium that's contained within it, you will you will get enough energy to power entire uh, like my country, Czech Republic, ten million people for a year. So one kilogram water you can you can power ten million ten million households uh, for a year. So if you ha if you have uh, if you employ fusion in cars, you are done. You don't need to charge. Uh, you know for a lifetime or maybe several million of lifetimes. Um, that's unlikely to happen though. Uh, I mean, anytime soon at least. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely there is, there is a, there could be, you could, you could have much uh, smaller batteries carrying around, but then you need to, uh, then you need to charge very often. And I don't know how that would be done. Just I mean, people don't. People don't like it, right? So now you keep the battery size the same, but you just have recharging coils within the infrastructure, the roads and so on, like they're planning to do in some parts of Europe. So this accelerated charging would make, I guess, the recharging itself more quick, therefore somewhat more efficient in terms of at least time or productivity. Yeah, definitely. In that sense, I guess you could you could imagine having charging station in the road. And just as you as you pass through, it charges if it is like really fast. That would be cool. Uh, yeah, I guess in a in a way you would you would make uh, your car kind of less efficient train now, just just taking the energy as they go. Um, yeah, in principle, you could uh, you could bypass the problem of the energy density if you are super fast in charging. You could uh, yeah charge uh, on the fly in some sense, right? I mean, so yes. yeah, right. In principle, yeah, you could bypass this problem by saying, oh, I charge in the, on the fly using the quantum. So, yes. Yeah, but, but generally, I think uh, there has been some ideas of just outsourcing your energy source, right? Uh, so, 
that's the same again like i will talk about rockets because that's that's kind of a hot topic now but so the rocket can either carry the energy um in it, in it but then it needs to accelerate the the fuel as well which is a terrible idea but the other idea is to not to have the energy source on the rocket but have it on on the ground and just shoot a laser at the rocket and and speed it that way and that's much more efficient and that, that's the same way that electric train works that's the same way the hyperloop hyperloop uh, will work could um, try to uh, oh can you hear me uh, is it still noise yeah okay so so uh i i just tried to um, get a kind of resource uh, kind of a quick uh search uh reviews that there's a paper sort of uh, enhancing the charging power of batteries is that would be a uh, a good paper to uh uh look at the principle of uh the the charging i wonder if this could uh, generalize to the actual structure for example of a solar cell so this kind of quantum entanglement that kind of boosts i guess the energy flux to some extent um or through some sort of weird lottery co coordination uh, i wonder if uh, uh, the the i guess the mechanism or the materials lend themselves to that uh, translation hmm. yeah. Yeah, so I don't know about the paper. Uh, maybe Dario can answer that. Uh, well, I think I think he's, uh, he's referring. I think Hansen. I am not sure I understood, but I think he's referring to the to the famous paper by Campaioli et al. About where uh, yes, I mean, if you want, if I understood properly, in this paper, Campaioli, Pollock, Binder, and, and collaborators, what they did has been essentially. It was the first uh, uh, paper showing that by entangling operations, which are the one that um, that we discussed, you can get an advantage. However, in that page, if you want, in some sense, our paper is a, a proof of what uh, they call conjecture. Uh, I don't remember the number. Conjecture four. So, in some sense, in our paper, we proved that what what for them was a conjecture. So the best result of that paper was to show that uh, there might be a quantum advantage, but somehow they were, uh, in a sense, uh, overestimating this advantage. So they didn't find uh, a tight bound. So what we did was to uh, find a better bound to the charging power. And uh, more uh, in details, we, we found that among two sources of possible quantum advantages that they found, uh, just one of them is relevant. The other is irrelevant. Hmm. But yes, that paper is is in some sense the paper that started this uh, this idea. So yes, mm -hmm. gotcha, gotcha. So, thank you very much. Uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll get your paper. Uh, yeah, later. thanks. Um, so to answer Ayel's question, um, yeah, I'm not sure about increasing flux would help uh, uh, solar cells. I think in solar cells, what's the main kind of a goal is to increase efficiency. Uh, because there is a there is a limited energy in each photon that that hits the solar cells, and the holy grail of solar cells is to reach as efficiency as high efficiency as photosynthesis, which is about I think eighty seven percent. I think today cells at best have about forty percent efficiency, which is not bad, but it could be better. Uh, if you get eighty seven, then um, mm, you know that that's going to be great. But I'm not sure how you like 
flux or, or speed with which these photons are uh, absorbed is going to help. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure that how how that process would help anything. Uh, I believe Abyss, hi Abyss, you joined us. Uh, please go ahead and ask your question. Thanks, Carrot. Um, hi, Dario, um, Dominic, and Juyun. Um, hope I pronounced your name correctly. Uh, so, yeah, I've been listening in the background. Uh, great work, uh, really promising stuff. I do have one question, which is kind of based off of what Serena was asking, which is like, do you, um, you said that. <clears throat> When in charging, it goes from a zero zero state to a one one state, which are essentially non entangled states. I'm curious: is there some kind of thermodynamic effect uh, considered um, in order to achieve the intermediate uh, entangled state? Um, by that, I mean um, in quantum computers, or at least like in some some paradigms of quantum computers, there is. Um, I mean, the system has to be cool to. Uh, to zero near zero Kelvin to achieve an entangled state or at least like prolonged entangled state. So I'm just wondering if this um, intermediate transition transition state um, where the system is actually charging, um, like I said, from zero zero state to one one state would require some kind of um, a, you know thermodynamic consideration in order to achieve maximum entanglement. Thank you. Oh. Uh, well, the short answer is that in, in, in paper, we didn't consider this um, uh, this effect. Actually, uh, if you want, uh, we just, um, I mean, yeah, we just said what is the best possible power that you can get. Uh, in all, let's say, our understanding, uh, this requires some entangled state in between, but actually we didn't study specifically which states are required. This is something that Julian is studying more specifically recently. So is is focusing mostly on how the states, which uh, gives the maximal power, um, must look like. Uh, I would say that what you refer is mostly, at least from what I understood, is mostly a technological problem nowadays. Try how to build such an entangled state, and uh, I don't know much on that. Maybe Dominic is our let's say local expert on technology, so maybe he can add something. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, you are right. Um, in quantum computers, they need to cool them down so they can achieve this highly entangled state. And the, the reason for it is that uh, if you have things cooled down, they do not emit light and um, and they are kind of isolated. So uh, the, the 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 trouble with not having cooled down, it it just emits a light, and that light carries some information. And that in, if that information leaks, then the quantum state is destroyed. And if you have a bigger entanglement, then it's uh, much more likely to emit a photon and, and then destroy the entanglement. Uh, so there, there needs to be there needs to be similar effects taking taking place in these quantum batteries. Uh, I'm not sure if cooling down is the only only source. Basically. As long as you manage to isolate it from the outside environment while it is charging, that's good enough. Yeah. Um, cooling yeah. down is might be one way. Uh, another way could be uh, work in some 
state that's that just doesn't communicate with outside world so there is there's an idea of topology quantum computing compu uh, computing where some states are protected meaning that they are really uh, unlikely to emit anything that that leaks the information out so as long as you do the you do your uh, charging in those in those states that are highly isolated then you are fine uh, not necessarily so, low temperatures are required so maybe dominic we can summarize by saying that uh, all the problem of the coherence uh, that people study in quantum computing it will apply also here and the solutions that will work in quantum computing will work also here exactly exactly okay. yeah right so this is the the where you know my uh previous uh confusion still lies the uh when maybe it's a semantic or terminology when we when you use uh, classical states the yeah so so i mean the the technology so far is uh, mostly very low temperature to operate qubits right so uh there has i mean the proximity probably not necessary you can use laser to uh, do the uh, entanglements, but uh, still, if uh, to, to in that scenario, in order to uh, say "quote unquote" classical, that means the uh, the two qubits are not entangled, right? You to yes. to begin with. Or, right, yes, so yes, by classical, then, I mean, yeah, I, I means that they are in the product state, right? Yeah. So you should. Sorry, Frank. You want to then finish? then. Then I uh, would imagine the next step you have to entangle them, correct? The two, right? Correct. And and then in this process you're actually changing the entire quantum system, right? The say the 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 the, the number of uh, uh, microstates, uh, I mean for two isolated qubits versus uh, entangled qubits. Mm, yes. I think so. Then it, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, uh, the, uh, <laughs> I mean, how much energy that you need to, to I mean, take you to, I think it, it, with a, a well-defined quantum system, we know that uh, the, uh, the, uh, the quantum states, right? So say uh, hydrogen, uh, the electron, uh, you know, hydrogen atom that uh, we know is you know in uh, one over n squared, so this uh, can interact with lights. But now, for your classical states, it can be the location, you know, the the, the can be known precisely, right? So then the uh, only when they become entangled, they become a two qubits quantum system. So that uh, I mean, the, the the quantum states are different now. So now it, de it depends on where you start as your low energy uh, uh, battery uh, state, right? So the, the bottom, the, uh, the dam, uh, the question changes. So that's my uh, original question. Um, I lost. Okay, I'll-, I'll Hello? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, maybe I can add to that. Yeah, please. Yeah, it's true that it's it's classical in the beginning, somewhat classical and somewhat classical in the end. Um, in the in between, that's where the entanglement comes, and that's where you really need to protect it from this decoherence. You don't care about the beginning or the end, uh, because if you have decoherence at the very beginning, it doesn't you don't lose anything because nothing carries energy. If you have it at, at the end, you lose at the most one qubit. 
so one pieces of energy but if you would lose it in the middle you lose all of them because it's entangled state so if one falls all of them fall yeah. why it's really sensitive to the coherence at that charging stage but not at the beginning and the end yeah um yeah, also to correct one of your statements, uh, you said uh, the technology today is always, uh, you know, called qubits. That's actually not technically true. The technology that Google and IBM uses, which is superconducting qubits, yes, that's very cold. Then there are uh, some uh, uh, atom traps, which are also very cold. Those are the, um, uh, those are the technologies used in Innsbruck in Austria. But uh, for example, in, in Waterloo, Canada, there is, there is a startup working with states of light. Uh, so you can do quantum computing with photons. And uh, those are terrible as batteries, right? Because they, they fly around. But those are, uh, um, those are just room temperature because uh, photons do not interact uh, very well uh, with anything apart from you know, matter if they fly through air without interacting any, with anything. So, so those photons actually are room temperature and doesn't, it, it doesn't destroy anything because they barely interact. So that's the other extreme. Um, uh, so, so not everything is called temperature, but, uh, but I guess the thing that we could use for quantum batteries are still just low temperature, temperature so you are right in that. Well, uh, actually, I mean, you can, for photons, I think you can constrain them in a cavity, right? A cavity QD is something actually even even old. So, uh, I mean, I think technically you could, I mean, recently we, we came out with a paper about using micromasers as a quantum battery. So, I don't know, I think, who is uh, this uh, this uh, this um, startup that you mentioned? Uh, Xanadu or uh, No. Yeah, Xanadu is one of them. There are I more. See. I see. Okay. The one I mentioned is Xanadu. That's in the, the one in Canada. Uh, I see. Yeah, there are more. I see. I see. I think there is one in Silicon Valley as well. Uh, mm -hmm. using these one in Australia with Germany. Is that with Germany together that uh, is working on a room temperature quantum computer that that is quite small, so people could have it at home. That's their goal, at least. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, thank you, you know, very much. And, uh, yeah, I mean, don't take my, I mean, I just, I'm here to learn. Right? So uh, from a, a layperson perspective, yeah, and thank you for correcting me on the temperature. Yeah, the uh, I'll uh, Google more for the high temperature uh, qubits. I mean, I know they did use the uh, circular uh, polarization as uh, zero and ones. Yeah, thank you. Actually, that was one of the reasons that I asked about the cavity shortfalls at the beginning. So, by the way, Dominic, I have one question. When you talk about isolated, it means no energy fluctuation or changing on a geometry. Uh, isolated means actually there is no information leakage from the system. It Does, doesn't have anything to do with fluctuations uh, as long as they stay in the system. Uh, so, you know, what, what I mean by isolate is that, you know, you know, black body radiation, basically, if you uh, heat up your stove, it turns red. Or, you know, you, you see, uh, you see coal burning, it's also red or yellow or, or some color. So it, it emits light. 
and this is what you want to prevent. You want to prevent uh, the, your battery to emit anything, because as soon as it emits, it destroys the quantum states. Uh, so isolated means that the information stays in. The, the same thing you also want prevent. You want to prevent uh, things being emitted at 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 that. Uh, so you don't want to shine any light on it from outside source because that would also destroy the quantum state. Like a Faraday cage just for photons <laughs> or for light, um, basically. If you want to, if you know what a Faraday cage is, I posted the link of the the company's news uh, about uh, the company name is Quantum Brilliance between yes. Austria and Germany. Well, we talked for two hours. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, I wanted to give you a chance to leave us <laughs> because <laughs> two hours of your time. Um, you're always welcome back. This was a great honor to have you and the whole group. This was really a lot of fun. And thank you for answering so many questions and for this really um, great presentation that I think was really, you really uh, did a wonderful job at explaining this in a way that um, everyone, even myself, can understand it. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you so much for your interest and in your questions. Yes. It's been a wonderful discussion. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. I'll be happy to come again. Yeah. That yeah, please. Awesome. Yeah. And join us when we have um, your guest speakers here and join us again with updates on your work or maybe on other topics you do so many interesting projects so you know if you Pretty want much. to about another projects please come back we are always happy to learn from you sure uh, awesome yeah and thank you everyone for coming and asking great questions and for learning with us here today and please join the club science society if you like our rooms like this uh, we will have tomorrow at the same time Dr. Brady from Australia. He will talk about um, his new junk DNA uh, research and how we can use it to control fear. And then we will have on Thursday at noon from um, Europe Dr. Behla Vanidis talking about how human vi vision reconstructs time and uh, perceives time very differently. We kind of know that we do that, but he found the mechanisms in the brain and showed how the brain does that. And um, on Friday, we will have um, a astrophysicist from Max Planck Institute in Germany, Krasno Kutsky, um, about um, building blocks of life that form on space dust, um, how peptides form on space dust. So this is a room about the origins of life, basically, which is really interesting. And yeah, we will have more rooms also next week. We will actually have a nuclear fusion room where um, uh, they the CERN uh, from Switzerland scientists collaborated with DeepMind and uh, to control the plasm on fusion with AI um, in May. So maybe you will be interested in joining. 
And yeah, thank you so much for this amazing room. We, we really appreciate it. And enjoy the rest of your day. And if you're here in the US, good night for you. And uh, yeah, thank you, everyone. Thank, thank you, you so much, Doctor. Thank you. Incredible talk. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so you. much. Let me just add. You can also find our emails online. So drop us a question if you have any. Sure. Ooh, thanks sure. so much. Yeah, really appreciate. I will, you know, I will, you know, send you uh, uh, questions. Uh, thank you for being so generous with your time and information. That's really exciting. And thank you, friends in the audience, for being here. It was great to be able to have such a wonderful audience for our presenters. So good night, everyone. Yes, really appreciate it. Good night. Looking forward good to Good night. Good night, good night. Good night, good night everyone. everyone. Oh, sure. Thanks. Hope you'll come back. Good night, everyone. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye.